You are listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you're following us on all social media at lunchpailguys underscore. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 198th week recording session episode of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. My name is Lucas, and it's just me and Jared here today, and we're going to be talking mostly about college football. So normally we start the episode with some news we missed, but if you want that news we missed, you're going to have to wait till the end. We're going to jump right into the, this week because there's so much exciting college football news to get to, um, and we're going to start off with some college football playoff scenarios. So heading into the last year of the 14 playoff before the system transitions to 12 teams next year, the committee might have one of its toughest decisions in deciding the four teams who get in. So we're going to run through a number of possible scenarios and predict who we think will get in. Uh, we'll let Jared start with scenario one. So scenario one would be Georgia wins the SEC championship. They're 13-0. Michigan beats Iowa in the Big Ten championship. They're 13-0. FSU beats Louisville in the ACC championship. They're 13-0. And then Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12 championship. They're 12-1. And then Texas wins the Big 12 championship. And they are twelve and one. So you have five teams there who have a potential case to get in. In that scenario, Jared, who do you think gets in? So obviously, the first three undefeated teams will get in with Georgia, Michigan, and Florida yes. State. And the decision comes down to twelve and one Oregon or twelve and one Texas. And I would make the case that Oregon should get in in this scenario. And then I'll later make the case on why I think Oregon is a lot better than I think. Even they're getting credit for, even at, with their high ranking right now, but at six. But why they should get in is, first, the committee's already told us that they think Oregon is better than Texas based on their rankings because Oregon has consistently been ranked higher than Texas in their rankings. And the thing that Texas is hanging their hat on that people would probably be outraged by if they get left out is, we beat Bama on the road, and that should count for something, which it definitely does, but... In this scenario, Bama's now a two-loss team, which really weakens Texas's best win, whereas in this scenario, Oregon's best win would be against a one-loss Washington team, which which should, by logic <laughs> at least, be ranked ahead of Bama. So that, that would be a better win, first off. They also definitely have a better loss, too, but in that the, the team that they beat with their best win was also their only loss in a close game as well. So a little bit better loss, too, than Texas is to Oklahoma. And then the third reason would be like strength of schedule uh, overall outside of their best wins. Texas has not beaten another team that's now currently ranked other than Bama. And the only other team that is currently ranked that they played, they lost to in Oklahoma. Oregon just now notched a win over 21st ranked Oregon State, um, who luckily, like Sanity Prevail, is still ranked in the AP poll. They are a good team. They just kind of got hosed that they had to play Washington and Oregon in back-to-back weeks. Um, but they also have quality wins against like Utah, for example, who's a four-loss team that arguably should be ranked in the college football playoff rankings over Tennessee, who has lost to every good team they've played, where Utah has quality wins um, over Florida, who Tennessee lost to, by the way, um, and teams like USC. So they have that quality win. USC is maybe not as quality win, but it's still the former Heisman Trophy winner, I think. Um and so Oregon has a lot more quality wins, I think, than Texas does. But even outside of that, 
Oregon just straight up is a top three team. I honestly think they can they can really legitimately lay claim to being the second best team in the country right now. So first point here, Oregon has dominated their opponents. Despite one loss, they've dominated their opponents that even Michigan and Georgia really haven't done. Their average margin of victory this year is 32 points, which for comparison, everybody thinks Michigan's been dominating their opponents so much, which they have, but Michigan's is 27 points per game or points in average margin of victory. So Oregon is a full five points better in their margin of victory, right? Georgia's, for comparison, is 23 um, average margin of victory. Texas and Bama is 20. So Oregon is just dominating their opponents in a way that nobody else nobody else really has in the in the in that top conversation. And also, they are great on both sides of the ball. They're 15th in the nation in yards allowed per game and second um, in the nation in yards scored and yards per game at 540.2. And then they're also top 10 in both points allowed per game and points scored per game. They're one of only three teams to do that, one of the other ones being Georgia. We'll get to the third team later in this episode. Um, But seventh in in points allowed per game and second in points scored per game. Like They're just dominant on both sides of the ball in a way that only, again, two other teams can say. And one of those is Georgia. Michigan can't say that. Ohio State can't say that. Texas and Bama can't say that. The other one is they have potentially the best quarterback in the country, too. Um, it, it, I think it either really comes down to Jaden Daniels or Bo Nix because Michael Penix Jr. has kind of fallen off. But Bo Nix is like second in passing touchdowns to Jaden Daniels, but importantly, first in completion percentage. He's doing this. He's not only doing the volume and passing touchdowns, but he's doing it really efficiently with a completion percentage of, of 78.6% is wild. And he's doing this with Dan Lanning, who's a former Georgia defensive coordinator, like a defensive head coach too, which I think is really, really impressive. And then also in terms of the quality wins thing again, like if you put, okay, if you put Oregon's resume, if you like said, all right, pretend that Oregon is an SEC team. Oh my God. People would be like, Oh, what? Like, look at how good this team, they would be treating it like it's Bama basically. Um, and the SEC is just not the best conference this year. And we have a, a little bit of numbers about this up. The SEC, uh, at the start of the season, we have the like non-conference play for the first three three weeks. The SEC was 17-8 and eight in non-conference play versus FBS teams. The Pac-12 was 21-4, and four, which is an 84% winning percentage. The SEC's was 68%. And then if you want to look at, uh, at the SEC against ranked teams, they were 2-4. and four which is 33%. By comparison, the Pac-12 is 2-0. So the SEC is just not, you can't use that argument this year that, well, they play in the Pac-12. No, the Pac-12 is good this year and better than the SEC, honestly, you could you could argue. So the fact that Oregon is doing this, like being dominant on both sides of the ball, destroying their opponents and doing it in a, in a Pac-12 that is really good this year, that only Georgia, honestly, I think has a better argument at this point. And if, um, Oregon were to beat uh, Washington, they would have as good of a resume um, as Georgia and Michigan, and they should be in in this scenario. No, what I do totally think, agree. I don't think it's particularly. You know, I yeah, I totally agree. And I don't think it's particularly close, especially between Oregon. I do think uh, to temper your enthusiasm a little bit on it, I think <laughs> they do have some inflated stats because of some early season games, like the margin of victory in that Portland State game, beating them eighty-one to seven. I, I mean that 
I think you, t- you take that game out, that pretty much brings them back down to the level of the Michigan, of the Georgia. Not to say that, though, is any less impressive. So, yeah, if you, if, you, if you take out that game, their margin of victory is still 28.1, which is still better than Michigan and Georgia. But that is Yes, but it's, it's more in the realm of possibility. <laughs> but I think even, like, that aside, I think that they're far and away better than Texas. I mean, aside from a very few select number of games, Oregon has just, as you, you know, mentioned too, in the breadth of stats thoroughly dominated their opponents, but I think it's particularly important to compare it to Texas um, in doing that. So not only has Oregon been so dominant, but Texas has really not been. They've had a ton of close calls if you look throughout the year. Not that Oregon had its, didn't have its close calls. They did, I guess, squeak out a victory over know, maybe USC. That was only nine points if you want to consider that a close one. Yeah. Other than that, though, they've been pretty thoroughly dominant in every game except where they lost to Washington. Versus Texas, you run down the whole length of their schedule. Um, two weeks ago, losing to Iowa, beating Iowa State only by 10. Iowa State, not a very good team. The week before that, only beating TCU, a team who was nowhere even close to their national championship game participant level last year. I don't think they're going to make a bowl game this year. They, had, they took Kansas State, who was good but not great. The overtime, Houston, they only beat by 7. Um and then, I don't know, you go from there, I mean, they're, they're lesser opponents they beat up on, but even their beating up on teams is not to the level that Oregon did it. They beat Rice by 27, even if you don't want to compare it to the Portland State game for Oregon. I mean, they beat teams like Cal 63-19, to they beat Utah 35-6, to they beat Colorado and Stanford 42-6. to All those teams are better than Rice, and Oregon is beating them by much, much higher margins. I think that it's between Oregon and Texas... It's not even particularly close in terms of who determines to be in. And I think that the only reason that where Texas will get in over Oregon in that scenario is largely reputational. Some of it related to UT and wanting that brand maybe in the playoffs, though I guess mm-hmm. they'll never meant to that. But part of it also the reputation of having that Bama win, even if Bama, you know, isn't the Bama of years past. I think the reputation of having a Bama win, even if it's a whatever they'll be eleven and two Bama team, might hold some sway in the committee's mind, but it shouldn't. I don't think they'd make that decision either, but I think Oregon across the board has been thoroughly dominant. And they would... I don't think, yeah, again, it's particularly close between them and Texas. Yeah, I agree. Obviously. And I don't I don't like using the... the eye test or, like, the margin of victory, but, I mean, if you have to pick between two teams, that's, that's a stat that you have to fall back on. But the stat that should be the most important, I think, though... Would just be that like Texas is in this scenario, Texas is winning against Bama would not look as good, and that'd be their only ranked win because because Bama in this scenario would then have two losses compared to beating Washington with one loss. Um, and that's what I that's another thing you can fall back on. So yeah, I agree that like the only thing Texas might have over Oregon is brand. <laughs> in this, yeah, in this scenario. I just can't see any other realistic argument for putting them in across the board. So yeah. I think it'd be it'd be a very frustrating end to this whole era of college football if that's how the decision ended up going with Texas and over Oregon, but I don't think that'll happen. Me neither. Another potentially frustrating end could happen if we get this scenario. I think Lucas. So scenario two, thirteen and zero Big Ten champ Michigan, thirteen and zero Pac twelve champ Washington, thirteen and zero ACC Florida State, uh, ACC champion Florida State. And then Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. So they're 12 and 1. Georgia's 12 and 1. Texas wins the Big 12 championship game. So they're 12 and 1. So really, the, the question is coming down to 
Who do you let in between a 12 and 1 SEC champion Alabama, a 12 and 1 Georgia, or a 12 and 1 Big 12 champion Texas? I think that this one if the committee follows its own rules, it has to be Texas of those three teams because what does the committee value? They say it over and over again. They say value head-to-head wins and they value conference championships. So if you're valuing conference championships, that takes Georgia out of the question. They're 12-1 and impressive regular season, but if conference championships are really high value, which I think deservedly so, then you have to take the three undefeated teams in Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and then you have to take um, Georgia out of the equation because they did not win their conference championship. So that leaves Bama and Texas. And the committee says that they value head-to-head, and Texas beat Bama. So at that point, you have to give the edge to Texas. Like I think it's a very clear... like logical deductive reasoning at that point to have Texas be the team based on what the committee values. Again, the only reason I can see they're not getting in is the whole SEC bias, that the SEC is the best conference. Um, But I think that would be ridiculous at this point. I know that it would be, given the current, I guess, last 15 years of college football, not having an SEC team in the final college football playoff would be shocking um, given its level of domination. But like you said, and like you referenced in the Oregon section, the SEC has just not been to the level of dominance that it has been in the last few years um, in, in this current year. Like, I think the Pac-12 is an argument for being a better conference. The Big Ten is an argument for being a better conference. The SEC mm-hmm. is just not dominant, and you can leave out its champion if it comes down to it. The really frustrating scenario to me, and I've seen this some places, has been leaving Florida State out because Jordan Travis, their quarterback, mm-hmm. is out for the year. Mm-hmm. And... I hate the logic of leaving out a team because their best player gets hurt. Yeah. It completely defeats the whole purpose of even playing a season. Like, if you go undefeated and your resume doesn't matter because your best player got hurt in the last game of the season, it's not about the playoffs. And, I mean, this has been a debate throughout the whole course of the playoffs. Constructing the playoffs shouldn't be about having the most talented teams in. It should be about the ones that deserved it the most. Um, And so if they put in an SEC champ over 13-0 Florida State, I'd be really, really angry with that. So I think, though, clearly in this scenario, it it has to be Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Texas. And that means the SEC gets left out, and I'm fine with that. Um, But I don't know your thoughts and what you think the committee would do in that scenario. Okay, yeah. So I I think the committee still thinks they are like a legitimate – they still view themselves as like a legitimate organization, and they wouldn't admit they don't have credibility and let in Bama or Georgia in this scenario. Because, yeah, you can't penalize a team for losing their quarterback. Because look at Ohio State in 2014. They went through three quarterbacks that year. And, like, uh, wasn't it JT Barrett, I want to say, in the Big Ten Championship game got hurt? So Cardell Jones had to come in. Um, And they won it all. You know what I mean? So you can't – and maybe Florida State doesn't look like the same team as um, Ohio State did. But they're still actually another their top ten like scoring off uh, scoring or scoring or yardage offense this year. Florida State is um, that. I mean, like as a fan, I don't really want to see Florida State in the playoffs. But in yeah. this scenario, like as a committee member, you do have to let them in. I think if Florida State loses, they're not in. They're, I think there's no scenario where they get in if Florida State loses. But I, and I get that. But but at the same time, Lucas, like I I have seen. And, like, talked with Bama fans, literally argue with me, like, with a straight face that there's no way Texas should get in over Bama if Bama beats Georgia. Like, just straight up. And I get the whole, like, 
oh, it was early in the season, they're different teams now, but that only works if you're judging two teams via a common opponent, not when they've played each other. You can't use that argument that they're different teams now because it's already been settled on the field. Mm-hmm. And Texas is also a different team than at that point. Like you could say, yes, mm-hmm. Bama has improved and gotten better, which is true. But so is Texas in a lot of ways. And you look at it, and I don't think Alabama even has that impressive of a resume compared to Texas. It's not like when you look at Alabama's rest of the season and Texas's rest of the season that they feel that dramatically different to me. Yes, Alabama has two ranked wins, I think, over Mississippi and LSU. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that gives them that much of an edge, especially when they have a lot of wins that are not dominant, are very close against bad teams, which is something that um, I think Texas has fewer close games against bad teams. They do have some close games. You look at Alabama this past week, they needed a miracle to beat Auburn. Like, just one of the yeah. most ridiculous end-of-the-season, end-of-the-game plays I've ever seen. Very close. You look even earlier in the season, Arkansas, only three points. Arkansas, not a good team. AM only six points. Not a good team. It's not like Alabama's resume is like they're beating teams like 30, 40. And in that scenario, I don't think it's a good argument for them over Texas. But I think it's a fine argument for them over Texas that they were dominant the rest of the year. But you look at their two resumes since that game's happened. Maybe Bama has a slight edge because of the ranked wins. But I think that that is not even close to being enough to overcome a head-to-head matchup. They lost to Texas. That needs to matter. So I think that in that scenario, because the resumes are roughly even since even if you know alabama was 10 20 30 percent better over the course of the season i don't even think that's anywhere close to being near enough to put them in over texas because they lost to them when they played head-to-head yeah i agree i i I do think though yeah bama has a better resume post texas looking at it with the wins that you mentioned with ole miss and lsu and i don't know i personally don't like using the well they look shaky and like against bad opponents because like I don't know. That's just going to happen to teams. And college football is the only sport where we criticize a team for winning ugly, I guess. Although I guess some of it is kind of coming to the NFL with criticism of the Eagles, to be honest. But, um, yeah, college football is the only sport where we do that, where we criticize them for not looking good enough, I guess, to like some kind of imaginary metric in a way. Um, but, yeah, still, Texas needs to get in over Bama in this scenario. Um, and Georgia in this scenario, based on the criteria that the committee's already laid out. Um, yeah, and um, in saying that about Alabama, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, like it really drags them down if they barely beat bad teams. I'm just saying that they're not blowing bad teams out of the water. And so it's not like their resume to me looks so dramatically better because they're just being dominant week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been up and down. It's not like they're looking like Oregon or Michigan or Georgia. They're not dominating teams week in and week out. And maybe if they were doing that, I could see more of an argument against Texas, but they're just not doing that either. So I don't think there's really any any argument for them over Texas in that scenario. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll move on then to the last scenario, which is, I don't know, probably the chaos scenario, yeah. if you want to call yeah. it that. So it involves a lot of more unlikely things uh, happening, but still definitely possible. So this is, you have a 12-1 Alabama, who is the SEC champion. You have a 12-1 Michigan, who would have lost to Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Um, You have a 12-1 Oregon, who won the Pac-12. A 12-1 Texas, who won the Big 12. A 12-1 Washington, who lost in the Pac-12. And then a 12-1 FSU, who lost in the ACC Championship. A 12-1 Georgia, who lost in the SEC Championship. And an 11-1 Ohio State, who in that scenario... Uh, do you think gets in? 
Great recounting of that, Lucas, because I wrote it down incorrectly on our outline sometimes, but very good, very accurate recounting. Um, so, so at first when I wrote it, I was like, yeah, this is the ultimate chaos scenario, but I actually think it's pretty simple. I think now that I'm looking at it, 12 and one Bama as the SEC champ would get in. So the SEC gets their guaranteed team in 12 and one Oregon as a Pac-12 champ would get in probably and in this scenario, probably be ranked two Bama one, 12 and one Texas. I honestly don't think like if both teams get in, they wouldn't care about the head to head and they just put Bama one. 12 and one Texas would get in uh, since they won the big 12 and be the third ranked team. And then it comes down to all those other teams where it comes down to 12 and one Michigan, um, 12 and one Washington, 12 and one FSU, 12 and one Georgia or 11 and one Ohio state. Um, so we can discount Ohio state since Michigan beat them. So they, they wouldn't be able to get in basically based off that. I don't think Washington would get in or Florida State just because they don't really have the clout and like have felt like kind of shaky, um, which right or wrong in that, like Washington has some really good ranked wins like against Oregon State and Oregon. Um, so they have a better resume, I think, than like Florida State would in this case, because Florida State's only win really is LSU. Um, but I don't think Washington or Florida State would get in. So basically that only leaves – Georgia, 12 and 1 Georgia, who's like, they've been the consistent number one team. And if it's like, okay, if we're picking teams that didn't win their conference championship, Georgia's going to be the team that gets the nod there, I think. What do you think? Yeah. Lucas? I, I use the same sort of chain of logic as you did. I think it has to be Bama. They get in, they have the championship, they have the best win probably in the country over Georgia. Then it has to be Oregon, 12 and 1 conference champion again. The committee always says conference championships matter. That has to matter. Same thing with Texas. If they beat the team that probably would be the number one seed in that scenario, I think, in Bama, then they have to get in. And then I agree with you. I think it has to be Georgia. Again, it comes down to Georgia and Michigan in mm-hmm. that scenario. The Washington, Florida State, Ohio State, they have to sort of be pushed out at that point for the various reasons that you sort of detailed. They're not contenders. So it comes down to Georgia and Michigan. And I think it's Georgia for a few reasons. One, I think they have better wins over the course of the season. They have more ranked wins. Yes, Michigan maybe has the better overall win in beating Ohio State, but Georgia's been more consistent. They've been more just they've been just as dominant, but done so I think against a slightly higher level of competition. Um, you see they have ranked wins against teams like Mississippi, who they beat by 35, if my math is correct. They beat Missouri, who's ranked number nine by nine points. Those aren't the sort of wins that I think Michigan has. Yes, there's the Penn State win, but that wasn't nearly as dominant. And then the Ohio State win, again, wasn't nearly as dominant as some of those have been. And other than that, the Big Ten is just not very good. I mean, I don't value super highly wins against Rutgers or Minnesota or Michigan State at this point in the way that even I think some of the more average SEC teams might be slightly higher level than some of the average Big Ten teams this year. So I think it has to be Georgia at that point, especially because the committee has consistently ranked Georgia above Michigan throughout the course of the year. Yeah, that's why. Um, and so I think it would be a weird sort of like idea for them to go back. I guess the I, I, I'm interested to see how the, the second to last college football playoff rankings sort of pan out because if they rank Michigan ahead of Georgia because of that Ohio State win, that then opens up the the door for them to put Michigan in over Georgia. I don't know whether that would happen, but I think given what we know today, Monday, November 27th, I think it would be Georgia would get that last spot. Yeah, see, that's where it gets interesting, actually, because Michigan, I I think Michigan does have pretty good wins. I mean, they beat Penn State, 
who is the best defense in the country. They beat Penn State, put up 24 points on them. They beat Ohio State. And Penn State was on the road, too. And those are two late-game late, late game victories, which Georgia has that with um, Ole Miss as well. Um, but, yeah, I, don't, I, think that, I think that one would be close. And like you said, if, Mich- if they ranked Michigan ahead this week, then then I would honestly probably give the nod to Michigan just because it's like, all right, well, they already think that they're Michigan's better than Georgia right now. It also would depend on how the how they lost their uh, conference championships, I think, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Georgia, Georgia would have the better loss, which still holds like so much power over fans. I feel like that like they it, it, like a bad loss is held against you so much by college football fans. Um, and it really still is, even though it shouldn't, I don't think it should, I think it should be about your wins, um, more than your losses. Um, but yeah, Michigan's would be a decently bad loss because Iowa like, uh, can't score. So that'd be like a decently bad loss to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, I always been kind of a joke of college football this year. And I feel like even yeah. it's the reputation of that to like lose to them, despite, I mean, whatever they put together a nice season, but the fact that they couldn't score, I I'm almost certain, right? They didn't hit the uh, the 25 points per game necessary in order for the yeah they hit the under offensive hand. coordinator to keep his ju- yeah they, oh so. oh yeah no they definitely didn't yeah the the offensive coordinator has already been announced as coordinator been at the end of the season is gone yeah yeah because he didn't hit the 25 points per game or whatever but I mean you just look at their last few games I know we're going off on a or I'm going off on a bit of an Iowa tangent here but they've scored 13 15 22 10 10 15 20 26 0. <laughs> Like, they just they have no offensive capability. And so for Michigan to lose to them, I feel like would reflect really poorly. And that might be enough to drop them out. But what if. Unless, for example, if, Bama loses. Bama beats Georgia by like 40. Then I don't even know. Like, what are you looking at at that point? Well, let's look at what if Bama. What if Bama wins by 14? Michigan loses on a field goal. By a field goal at the end. I think you still give Georgia the edge there. I think. Okay. Losing to Bama by 14 is more impressive than, or like, I don't know. I think it's comparatively less bad, maybe is the way to put it, than losing to Iowa in general, just because of how bad they've looked this year. Yeah. Okay, I think that's fair. I think Georgia would get in, to be honest. They wouldn't, in that scenario where they have like the leeway and the benefit of the doubt, um, they would they would put in the SEC. What I want I to happen... I would really take Georgia... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Lucas. I said I think it would take Georgia losing by like three plus touchdowns for them to not get in. I think yeah. it would have to be that bad. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. What I what I want to happen the playoff I want is Michigan, Georgia or Bama. I'm fine with either of them. Georgia or Bama, um, Oregon, and Texas. That's what I want. Is the top four. I think in that scenario, we would need Georgia to win because, like, I don't think they would put in Oregon over, like, Oregon over Georgia if it was if that was the last two spots. Um, so we would probably need Georgia to win. So, yeah, I think it would be interesting, though, if it was Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Oregon. I think that would be a really fun top four. And, like, all solid teams. I agree with that. I think that's, like, would create the most exciting playoff and it would create – the most like I don't know I'd be most interested in watching I guess is how yeah. I put it like I think those are all very interesting teams I think they're all pretty big brands too which I think would make it interesting and so I think yeah yeah it'd be it'd be a good playoff I also if we don't get that though 
I want I want them to leave out SEC. I want Bama to win and them to, them to leave out the SEC. And Texas. Oh, me too. I would love that. Too. That would I be crazy be into this era. Yeah, for sure. There would be so many people on Twitter being like, nobody's going to watch this college football playoff since the SEC is not in it. And I'm like, I'm still watching. I, I want to see Michigan, Texas, Washington, Florida State. Exactly. I, I want to see that. I'd be more interested in that. I'm, I'd be excited <laughs> for them to be an, an SEC champion for one of the few times in recent yeah. years. Yeah. There, people like people will be like, there's an asterisk next to this title, too. I know people will do that, but... I know they would, too. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Speaking of the 14 playoff model, this is the last year of it. Next year, we're going to 12 teams. Do you think this model was a, uh, the 14 playoff model was a success, Lucas? Overall, I'm going to say yes. Uh, I think in, any, in some ways, it would have been a success if any team outside of the top two ever won the playoff, which happened in the, the first year of the playoff uh, with Ohio State winning from the four mm. seed. Um, I think it's also largely a success um, because it expanded a mo- like from beyond the top two model, which I think is just a bad one in a sports league, if you want to define it as that, which a hun- with 130-plus teams, having it subjectively yeah. be narrowed down to two is crazy. Um, <laughs> like, we think four is bad now, and in a lot of ways it is, but I think it sort of, like, opened the window of possibility for college football to have a fair system for deciding a champion. And in that way, I think it succeeded Yes, there are still issues, obviously, with the smaller schools getting excluded um, from the system and the way that there were with the top two uh, championship. But it wasn't quite as bad. We did have one time it happened, Cincinnati uh, making it. Yes, they lost to Bama in the semifinals, but everybody <laughs> lost to Bama in the semifinals. Uh, like, I don't think their performance, if you look at, you know, especially the Notre Dames of the world, uh, <laughs> was particularly outside the realm of who how a team would perform against Bama in their most dominant era in the college football playoffs, if you're anybody but Clemson or Georgia. Um, so, in that way, I think it was a success. It expanded the opportunity for a group of five a little bit, even though I think it still was not enough. It expanded it beyond two teams. And again, moved the overall window towards playoff expansion. I'm glad, though, it's going to 12. There still are a ton of obvious issues with the four-team system, notably being that group of five exclusion. We haven't had a national champion from outside the group of five in almost 40 years at this point. Next year it'll be 40 years. Or outside the power five, almost 40 years at this point. Next year it'll be 40 years. BYU is the last one to win um, from outside the power five in 1984. Uh, so hopefully with some expansion we see that. I still think this system created room for a lot of pro-SEC bias in terms of them being perceived as the best conference and then being able to sneak two teams in when maybe it wasn't the most deserving. There were a lot of bad semifinal games in this system, which I guess maybe is an yeah. argument for the two-team playoff, but I think 12 teams will be better because you'll at least have some good first-round games and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm excited to see it expand to 12 teams last year. Uh, I think it'll be... Or 12 teams next year. I think it'll be an overall better system, but that being said, I do think for what it did, the 14 playoff model since it started in 2014 was an overall moderate to good success. I agree. I think part of the problem is they didn't really have to make too many controversial choices. And if they did, it kind of sorted itself out, I guess, where it's like, all right, well, that fourth team they did let in did win. You know what I mean? Like, they were good. Or or like, oh, they got stopped. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like... 
it doesn't doesn't really matter. The two best teams usually face each other anyway, like you were saying. Bad semifinal games. Um so I'm I'm excited actually for the 12 team playoff now too. My I used to be a very ardent defender that four was enough. And part of the reason I made that argument because was because like the two best teams are usually super clear. But this is kind of a year where it's like, all right, actually maybe it's not that clear. And you kind of do need more uh games to decide that, like a little more and decide it on the field instead of in a boardroom or whatever. Um the other reason why I always supported not expanding was because I am still worried about dilution of the regular season and the impact of single games. And that that's like just going to happen. Like Michigan, Ohio State, I don't know if we'll, we'll ever be as big as it was this weekend because Michigan like probably knocked OSU out just like with a single game. Where if that happens in the 12, 12 if this like happens in a 12 team playoff, Ohio State's like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Like we don't get the bye. But we're in the playoffs still, you know. They're not going to leave out 11-1 Ohio State. Um, and even then, and what's going to happen too is the Big Ten is getting rid of divisions, so they would probably just play each other again in the Big Ten championship anyway. Um, and then that kind of like deval- – that's like not really a playoff issue. That's like a Big Ten thing, which I think overall is a good choice for them, the Big Ten to do. But that could also kind of dilute it a little bit. Um, but it will make it so – your season isn't just over and you stop caring if you lose in week three, which is also a good thing. So there's going to be goods that come with it that we don't have in the current format of college football, but there's going to be bads about it too. I do hope that the regular season remains fun and that big games still feel big in a way that I think is unique to college football. Like I just don't think like chiefs and Eagles this past week was fun, but it just doesn't come close. I don't think to like the impact of a college football game. Like the even the Iron Bowl, like I was just on the edge of my seat for that game. You know, I don't know. Yeah, which is hard because I think that is one of the things that makes cultural so uniquely great. But if you ask me though, which I would rather a more exciting playoffs or a more exciting regular season, I think I'd choose playoffs every time because I've long said this on the podcast in that. The last time I really care about college football during the year is Thanksgiving weekend, like because I think it takes so long. That's a whole other issue college football has to address. <laughs> the fact that the last weekend of the regular season is Thanksgiving, um, so like the last weekend in November, and then you don't have the playoffs until over a month later, I think is really bad for the product. Because yeah. if unless Notre Dame's playing in it, which has only happened in, whatever, two of the ten playoffs that there were, I, I'm like, oh, I forget like who the players are, who's good, and stuff like that. Like I'm not hugely invested in the postseason, um, especially... When it's like the same teams over and over again. And so I think bringing a more exciting postseason to college football will keep my interest longer. Because yes, college football is absolutely the best regular season. But it's only really the regular season that I end up caring about. Which is an odd dynamic that the part of the season that I care the most about is the one that technically matters less in terms of like determining a champion. So yeah, yeah I think it's like an interesting scenario and I'm interested like maybe college football will lose some of its specialness in that way but I don't think it will you so when you have 130 teams like it's not like the NFL where there are only 32 teams so the each game matters less because you can still go nine and eight and make the playoffs in the NFL mm-hmm. nobody who's seven and five is ever going to make a 12 team college football playoff right like the yeah. worst you'll probably ever get is a nine and three um and that would be have to be a nine and three in which you know Maybe equivalent to this year's Missouri, where you lose to only the best teams or something like that. 
Yeah. Well, Missouri might have actually ended up ten and two, but like a team like that. Yeah, they're ten and two. They're ten and two, but even so, they're still ranked nine. I think at this point, so they'd be right on the cusp of the playoff. So you're never going to get a team barely above five hundred. I think if you lose more than two games, it becomes very difficult to ever make the playoffs. So this, the games still matter a lot. So, well, I think there is the potential for that dilution. I don't think it might be as bad as like my worst fears are. But I guess it's just for us to see how it plays out. Yeah, I still think twelve is too much. And like part of the reason I think twelve is too much, well, there's things I like about it and things I don't. But like in a twelve team playoff, you're still gonna get teams that like have already proven that like they're not good enough. Penn State and Ole Miss have lost to the best teams they play, but they would make the playoffs. You know what I mean? It's like they don't really deserve another shot. And you're like forcing a good team to play extra games that like well we know though already that Penn State and Ole Miss we've already settled that this year. You know what I mean? And I think so. I think that's unfair. But then you can make the other argument that, like, okay, if you don't want to play in those meaningless games, be a top four team and get the bye week. Or what is it? Top four teams that get a bye, I think. Or like it's get a higher seed and host champions. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or so. like letting the higher seeds. It's really smart that they give the top four teams a bye. I think so they don't so that they don't have to play like these meaningless games. Like we already beat Penn State. Like why are we playing that again? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I so, yeah, it's interesting. But, yeah, we'll see. All right, well, we're going to move on. The last major segment we do before we do news we miss, we're talking about our Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They beat a game, they beat Stanford in a game that nobody really watched. It was on the Pac-12 network, not, <laughs> not easily accessible cable, uh, in a season that kind of felt... You know, at least to me, and we'll get into this more, like just another classic Notre Dame season. Uh, so, Jared, what are your thoughts overall on the season, and who do you want in the bowl game? I am, even though 9-3, and three, like if you would have told me before the season, like 9-3, I'd be like, all right, I get it, I guess. We, we have to play Ohio State, Clemson, USC, and maybe we lose some random game in there or whatever. I, but it still feels so disappointing. But at the same time, we actually are one of the three teams that have a top 10 scoring offense and a top 10 scoring yeah. defense, along with that Oregon and Georgia. Me when I yeah, what? It too. That shocked me too. We felt so much worse yeah. than that. We were ninth in points allowed per game at 16.58, and somehow ninth in points scored per game at 39.1, yeah. which is crazy. Um, and Georgia and Oregon are the only other teams that are top 10 in both. Um, and if you would have told me again before the season that we'd go nine and three, I would have said, dang, we kind of wasted Sam Hartman. But actually what I think is like, dang, we wasted a top 10 defense. Like I said, with those stats, like the defense was legit this year. And we did have like, we did have pieces on offense that I think we could have done more with. Like Audric Estime showed us in that final game that he's one of the best running backs in the nation. And we might not have him back next year. Um, and Freeman's going to have tough decisions to make in the offseason. Starting with offensive coordinator, it's an interesting one because it's hard to look, it's hard to go to your offensive coordinator and say, we were ninth in the nation in points scored per game, but we're going to make a change, you know? And we averaged 39.1 points per game. But like, if you watch the games, you can just see like it doesn't work. And we have, the reason we have losses is because sometimes our offense was non-existent or our game plan was just not there. 
And that matters more than being ninth in the country in yards per game. It's about having the consistency in the game plan and the wild swings we had and like how prepared we look, how prepared we looked um, are the reason why like that is in question right now. So I think Hartman, or, uh, Freeman will make the right decision there. It'll be a tough decision, but we'll see what happens there. And then also we have the decision on do we want to take in a transfer quarterback? Um, I'm not sure if Freeman has already said something on this, but I would assume we probably look at the transfer portal. Um, Will Rogers of Mississippi State entered the portal. He's the SEC's record holder for completions. That would be interesting if we get if we could get somebody like that. But I also don't know if people would want to come to uh, Notre Dame and transfer when you look at like Sam Hartman not really looking that good to be honest. Um, where it's like, oh well, they kind of. He didn't. He looked a lot better at Wake Forest, I guess. Let's say that than he did in some ways than he did at Notre Dame. Um, so I, I hope that doesn't deter transfers, the top transfers, but it could. And Freeman might also have to hire a defensive coordinator, to be honest, depending on if Al Golden stays or wants to leave, because he'll probably be highly coveted. I mean, he's he's had two good years of defense. And Freeman's a defensive guy, so I'm not, I'm not as worried about that side of the ball, to be honest, just because our defense has been pretty good since Freeman's got here um, when he was the D.C. first. So I'm not that worried, but there, there, there could be like a lot, a lot of change this offseason. Um, and in reality, like our three losses were to pretty good teams. Ohio State's a top 10 team. Louisville ended up actually being pretty good this year and is a ranked team and playing in the ACC championship. And, like, Clemson isn't what they were, but they still only have, like, literally one more loss than us at 8-4, and four, which is the same record, by the way, as Tennessee, who's 21st in the college football playoffs right now. And, yeah, I think if you put Clemson in the SEC, they're a ranked team. But, so our three, I guess I, guess I kind of get our three losses, if, if you look at it. Um, in terms of bowl game opponent, I think we're going to play an SEC opponent. Last I heard, it was either going to be Tennessee or LSU. Um, I kind of would rather face Tennessee and get a win because I don't know if we we would beat LSU, to be honest, because LSU has the best offense in the country. But we would get the Brian Kelly rematch, so that would be very interesting. If it was New Year's Day, I would prefer Brian Kelly rematch. But if we're playing on, like, December 28th or whatever, just give us Tennessee. That's what I think. Yeah. Oh, I want LSU. I want to be Kelly <laughs> after all that happened. Although it would be horribly devastating and embarrassing that we'll lose that That's game. what I'm but, worried you know. about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I for I, for me, I alluded to this in the sort of like walk in or the the run into this segment, and that it just felt like a very Notre Dame season of the past ten years. They could almost beat the good teams, but they couldn't. And when it came down to the important moments, they couldn't do it. The the stats about the offense and defense when I found those two shocked me. It's the yeah. most also. It's the second most points per game they've averaged in school history. Ranking only behind the 1912 team, which, so for all intents and purposes, this is like the highest scoring offense in Notre Dame football history, which doesn't feel right to me. Yes, like there are some weird outliery type games there, I would say, or maybe, maybe not quite. Notre Dame's like results in those games aren't quite indicative of how 
like good they were. I mean, you see the Stanford game, 56 points. Wake Forest, 45 points. Pitt, 58. Tennessee State, 56. Like there were a lot of games where they ran up the score a little bit in ways that don't, to me, feel reflective of how good the team was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does feel still weird after that about for essentially the highest scoring offense in school history uh, to fire the offensive coordinator. But you're right, they just came and looked out flat in their biggest games. Um, I think I've been more critical of Hartman than you. I think Turnovers are bad. He hasn't looked great in the biggest moments. But I think a lot of it is on the offensive coordinator and the coaching too. Bad game plans. I mean, what was the stat against Clemson? They ran like two play actions the entire game or mm-hmm. something like that. That they just there was no creativity in the offense. Um, but apparently, there. I don't know if you saw this this morning. It was reported that they've asked permission to interview UNLV offensive coordinator. His name is Brennan Marion. Really? Um, they okay. averaged about thir- yeah. So UNLV averaged thirty five points per game. They were nine and three, and their Notre Dame's former wide receiver coach Del Alexander is also at UNLV now. So there's a connection there. Um, I don't know if it'll turn into anything, but I don't know if they've like officially asked permission or seeking. But apparently there's like mutual interest between Notre Dame and UNLV's offensive coordinator at this point. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, a couple other things. I saw Pete Sampson, the writer for The Athletic for Notre Dame. He said that this year was a step but not a leap forward for Freeman, which I think mm. is true. He beat all the teams he was supposed to this year, um, but still kind of lost to the the good teams, but still a good rivalry wins. It was a better season than last year, but not dramatically better, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, a, there was some equivalent wins, like you see this year versus Clemson the year before that. You know, sort of stuff like that. But there were no, like, dramatic Marshall-type losses. Still lost to Ohio State. They looked better against Ohio State this year than they did last year. Um, so that's something. And I think, like, one of the things that showed me this year, too, is they're really deep at running back. I'm, I estimate it was fantastic, but I think going forward, that's a huge position of strength. Um, it doesn't always bug me, though, the comments that I see on, like, all the Notre Dame stuff. It's like, well, if you look at... All the games Notre Dame lost is because SMA ran the ball a fewest times, and it's like, well, no, he ran the ball a fewest times because they were losing and they couldn't. Like your, your yeah. game plan has to change. You can't just like run. I don't know. We've talked about this in other scenarios in the podcast, but like running backs who run the ball more are doing so because their teams are winning. Like SMA runs the ball more in games that they're winning because they need to run down the clock, and if you're down, you throw the ball more. You need to That's true. Yeah. So I don't know, but I mean, SMA was incredible. I hope he's back next year. I don't think he will be. I think. He should be an NFL draft pick and probably won't pass that up. Um, but I don't know. It was a it was a Notre Dame football year. Like that that's what I would describe it as. They they were nine and three. They'll play in a decent bowl game. Maybe they'll win. Maybe they'll lose. But it just felt. I don't know. I was hoping with all the recruiting and Freeman and the energy behind him, things would feel dramatically better. And they don't. Like they just feel a little kind of the same as under Kelly. Like. But they're they're bad in different ways. They're, I don't know. To me, they, it feels like it's bad in different ways. So, like, Kelly would always come out and just, like, lose against the biggest teams. Like, Freeman doesn't seem to have... The teams don't seem to have quite that level of just, like, capitulating to pressure against the best teams that they did under Kelly. But they're, like, other issues. Like, they seem to turn the ball over way more frequently mm-hmm. than they did under Kelly. I know that some of that's a personnel thing. They seem to play, like, down to the level of their competition. Like, Brian Kelly, for all his... Like faults would always beat the bad teams, even if it was close. I feel like in his era, mm-hmm. I don't have that same confidence with Freeman. So I think I don't really know what to think. Like I don't know if it's better or worse than Kelly. It just seems like 
good and bad in different ways. So, I think I still yeah. will hang on some of the optimist optimism that came from the from the Ohio State game. That was like, okay, we can play with them, and like, really should have won that game. I think that's like we looked in a, in some way we looked better than I think we ever have under Brian Kelly, um, and then like beating Clemson the year before, beating USC handedly this year, even though USC didn't turn out to be. The team they were, we were the team that kind of like figured out Caleb Williams first, to be honest, and then all the other, and then he struggled after all those other games. So it'll be interesting. I didn't hear about the UNLV thing. That's actually really interesting. Um, I would have, after looking at the stats, these stats, I would have been like, okay, maybe we do give Parker another year <laughs> and like just see see what he can do. And because he's cutting his teeth, he's a first time play caller. He's cutting his teeth, and when you just look at the stats, you're like, okay, maybe it was Hartman. I don't know. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens there. And I hope, like, I don't know if this would happen, like that Parker would stay on the staff if he's not the offensive coordinator still, but I don't know if they do that or if that would be like too much of a power vacuum thing, but, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Cause you don't want to come on here and just like calling for people's, uh, <laughs> jobs and stuff. Um, yeah. Exactly. And I would like to see Parker like, succeed and if not stay on the staff and stuff and stay at Notre Dame, but cause he's really, he really wasn't. Yeah, I mean, most that's basically like the mo- in the modern era of football, Notre Dame's best offensive season in points per game. So, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it's one of those things where it feels like the stats are lying to some extent. Like, it yeah. shows that in some ways I think the eye test still does matter because statistically they had the best offensive season in maybe their entire history. But when I watched that football team play, it did not feel like that at all. It was also the second most yards per play they'd ever had. Uh, mm. Behind the 2015 team, which is interesting too. Like it's not Ooh. just yeah scoring. Though people did make a good point that the that the um the the points per game thing might be a little skewed. There were a lot of defensive and special team touchdowns this year. Oh, okay. so maybe it's not that's true. Totally indicative, but I don't know. I still think that the, the fact that they were second in yards per game to the 2015 team, which in my mind is still like the best Notre Dame offense that I've seen in my that's probably the best. I feel like that's the best team. Period, honestly, yeah. that I remember. But since I've yeah, been a fan. I agree. The fact that they didn't make the playoff that year is tragic, because they were yeah. so good. Yeah, uh, they were pretty good. But, yeah. Anyway, but it shows that it's not just the, the you know the defensive or special teams touchdowns to making it up. The second in yards per game shows that the offense in and of itself was playing well. Yeah. Twenty Next year will be an interesting like measuring stick for Freeman. Because the schedule is a lot easier. It goes way easier on us. Yeah. We open mm-hmm. up against Texas A&M, but they're in a head coach search right now. And they are going to have a lot of five-star players still. Um, and they're actually right now probably going to hire Mike Elko, who was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator um, from Duke, um, at Duke now. But he was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator in 2017, um, I want to say. So we got Texas A&M very first game of the season. Um, but then after that, like our, our toughest games are Louisville, I guess, but that's at home, Florida state also at home and then USC at the end of the season, but they might not have Caleb Williams. Like, so that we really should be going 11 or one next year, maybe even 12 and yeah. zero. I don't think it's even unrealistic to think of going 12 and zero next year. Yeah. Like I, I think, but I we need to make we'll the playoff next year. We, but, next year we should make the 12 team for sure. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I think even yeah. if they go 10-2 next year. But we'll yeah. see, I guess. 
All right. Let's finish off with round it out with a little bit of news we missed. Um, as I just mentioned, Texas A&M is expected to hire Mike Elko, who's the current coach at Duke. Apparently, there was like some firestorm where Texas A&M Texas A&M wanted to hire Mark Stoops, but the fan base was like caused such a riot that they backpedaled on that. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. Um, other coaching news though, Oregon State's head coach Jonathan Smith accepted the head coaching job at Michigan State, even though his alma mater was literally Oregon State and he left them. Yeah. It's crazy. I get it, though. With uh, Oregon State still has no plans next year for conference affiliation or anything like that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. It's going to be so hard to recruit. It's going to be too lot. hard to recruit for Oregon State. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and while that might have been like a lateral-ish move, I guess, in previous years... Because you're going from a mid-sized Pac-12 to a mid-sized Big Ten. Now with the collapse of the Pac-12 in Oregon State not having a conference, basically, uh, I think it's an easy move for him. Even though it's like awful, like leaving his alma mater and stuff like that. So Yeah. Harsh world out there for college football coaches, including Ryan Day. Ryan Day and Ohio State have lost to Michigan now three years in a row. People are calling for his job, which I think is actually pretty outrageous because he – dominates everybody else other than Michigan pretty much other than playoff games too I guess you can say I feel bad for him though I saw the video of him walking down the tunnel like walking out of the tunnel after the game or whatever and he looks so dejected and I'm like I'm done I used to be like kind of a Ryan Day hater because he just got I felt like he got so much credit and I was like well all right let's slow down a little bit on it like he hasn't won any national championships or whatever but now I'm like I'm not gonna pile on it he's got enough and it's like and now it's like too went too far in the other direction where everybody's like he sucks, which is not true. I'm not positive. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel I feel bad for him a little bit at this point, despite everything that happened with the Notre Dame game. And I think, like you said, he like dominated against everybody in the Big Ten. He's forty and zero against teams not named Michigan in the Big Ten. Yeah, it was one and three against them, which is crazy. So, calls for his job are ridiculous. I don't know. And Harbaugh, I mean, before this stretch, Harbaugh, like, did not beat Ohio State for how many seasons? I don't know. I thought I saw somebody say seven, but I don't know if that's right. Somebody else would have to check that. But, yeah, so give him some time. Give him some time. Um, The Steelers' offense, quote-unquote, goes off the second that they got rid of Matt, Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator. They did. I saw something that they like reached 400 yards for the first time in like 30 games or something like that. Is that what it is, Lucas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, goes off might be a stretch. They only scored 16 points, but they did have 400 yards for the first time in forever. Pat Fryermuth, the tight end, who I've benched all season in fantasy football, looked like Travis Kelsey out there. <laughs> uh, I, he had nine receptions for 120 yards. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it seems like. I feel like oftentimes coordinators and stuff get way more of the blame than is necessary, but it feels like in this case it was absolutely correct, like the blame yeah. being at least somewhat placed on there, especially because Tomlin is such an established record of being a good NFL coach. Yeah. Yeah, gained over 400 total yards for the first time since the 2020 playoffs. So that's been a while. And then a lot of the big NFL contenders, except for the Lions – one. Eagles, Chiefs, 49ers, Jaguars, Dolphins, 
And the Giants. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. They did win. For, Wyatt, Wyatt uh, not making an appearance on the podcast is uh, crestfallen at the loss of the, uh, the Giants because now they yeah. can't go and get Caleb Williams. He's going to have to live with Tommy DeVito for the rest of however long. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess Daniel Jones when he's no longer injured, but yeah. yeah. Alrighty. That's going to do it for this episode. If you like what you heard, if you like the new format with news we missed at the end, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, whatever social media at lunchpailguys underscore and give us a follow, uh, give us a subscription as well on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And we'll see you on the next one. Uh-huh.